Mark chapter 8. I want you to, if you have your Bibles or your, your, uh, your app or your whatever you have, if you have it open there. Mark chapter 8 verses 22 through 26. They came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. They brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? See, y'all thought it was a little abnormal a few weeks ago when I spit on my fingers and laid my hands on AK. But you feel them better since then, right? Yeah. It's the way old preacher Sam used to do it. Jesus spit, took this guy outside of town, spit on the man's eyes. Doesn't say he spit on the ground. He spit on his eyes. Boy, that's sanitary, isn't it? Yeah. You know, you have to wonder, how did Jesus actually do this? Was it a... Or... Yeah. How did he accomplish this? I have thoughts like that. I'm weird. He spit on his eyes, he put hand, and he put his hands on, and then, then Jesus asked, do you see anything? Do you see anything? After this guy's just spit on you twice, cause he spit in both eyes, so probably twice. Do you see anything? He, being the man, he looked up and said, I see people They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. And his sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. There's dozens of messages that could be preached out of this passage of Scripture. Literally dozens of messages that could be preached. But I want to preach to you with the thought. In the middle, in the middle, there are trees. In the middle, there are trees. Now, Jesus evidently is... Going about his thing, doing his thing, and again, he has interruptions. But you know, with Jesus, there's really no interruptions. There's no interrupting Jesus. These people brought this guy to Jesus. Now maybe, this doesn't say that it was against his will, but this Jesus, this guy didn't come to Jesus just on his own. Somebody brought him to Jesus. Do you, you and I, do you and I realize in this room this morning, that somebody brought every single one of us to Jesus. If we're following, if we're, if we're, if we are born again believers in this room this morning, somebody brought us to Jesus. Now for me, that was, uh, it was an aunt and uncle. Uh, for you, it may have been some Sunday school teacher or your mom probably the most influential person in your life, or maybe your grandmother, but somebody brought you to Jesus. Okay. More important than the, the, than just the natural 
somebody that brought you to Jesus. We also find in the scripture that it's impossible to come to the Lord except the Holy Spirit draw you. Now, I, my, my, my old friend James, uh, I love him to death. You hear me talk about him so much. And James said, you know, he said, uh, he said, I believe people can get saved whenever they want to. He said, the problem is they don't always want to. Because you see, we don't want to unless the Holy Spirit is drawing us. So everybody has somebody, even if there's nobody, the Holy Spirit, you came, even if there was no influential person in your life, the Holy Spirit still had to draw you unto Jesus. This blind man had people to bring him to Jesus. And that's where he encountered Jesus' touch. I want to preach to you uh, about the three touches that happened, the three touches that occurred in this man's life whenever Jesus takes him by the hand is the first one. The first one we see is the, the touch of conviction. Now, let me establish something here uh, with you, if you would. I, I heard something this week. I, I, I heard, I, I don't remember now if it was a song. I listened to quite a few podcasts. And I don't remember if it was a song or if it was a podcast. But the, I, I, in the, in the lyrics or in the, in the, in the broadcast, it talked about that the Lord, this person said, well, the Lord condemned me. Let me tell you something about the Lord. The Lord doesn't come to condemn anybody. He didn't come to condemn any. Condemnation is something that we find of our own accord by failing to receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. When we, when we look at this touch of conviction, he took the blind man by the hand and led him outside of the village. He took the blind man by the hand, if you would, and led him out of the circumstance. Hello? You see, he be, he began to he began to deal with the blind. That blind man couldn't see yet. He still called the blind man. You know, I, who knows why, why in the world? Different subject, but this is a good squirrel to chase right here. Why do we call blind Bartimaeus blind Bartimaeus? Bartimaeus, he's not blind anymore, but that's what we think of him as. Oh, that was blind Bartimaeus. Instead of heal Bartimaeus. This man cannot see yet, but yet he entrusts the Lord to lead him outside of the village. To lead him out of his circumstance. You see, conviction is that way in our life. Jesus wants to lead us away from our unbelief. I think it was Joy Morris that posted uh, a social media post yesterday about it's not the... It's not the drugs, it's not the cigarettes, it's not, it's not the, the uh, pornography, it's not the, the prostitution. It's not those things that separate people from God. It's the unbelief in their life and the other things are a result of unbelief, of us not trusting the Lord. Jesus wants to lead us out of our unbelief because unbelief will prevent us from encountering Him. It will prevent us from going to heaven. It will prevent us from walking in His favor that we just finished singing about a few minutes ago. The Holy Spirit convicts 
and does not condemn. I want you to capture that this morning. The Holy Spirit convicts, but does not condemn. Condemnation means there is a sentencing. There is a, there is, there is something to occur afterwards. The, G, the Lord Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit does not come to condemn us, but He comes to convict us. In John chapter 16 verse 8, the scripture says, when He comes, He will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteous judgment. Understand this with me. Condemnation brings death and destruction, but conviction will bring forth repentance. So don't ever think that the Lord has condemned you because that's not true unless you would stand before Him leaving this world lost, missing the rapture of the church when it takes place. Then you would face condemnation because all your hope would be expired because the way a tree falls is the way it lays, according to Solomon. So we find that that the first touch is that touch of conviction. The Lord, listen, and I've got news for you today. You're not here by accident. You're not here by incident. If you're just watching live, you're not watching by accident. You're not watching by incident. Even if it's three or four months later and you're watching this, you're not watching by accident and you're not watching by incident. I believe the Lord is working constantly, day and night, convicting those that are lost and undone. If you're in this room, and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, if you're watching and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, the Holy Spirit is wanting to place you under arrest. He's wanting to convict you of your your unbelief and He is wanting to see you surrender your heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ in order that you will be saved. So the first touch is the touch of conviction. The second touch is the touch of conversion. Jesus spits in this guy's eyes and he asks him, can you see? The man says, well, I see men like trees walking around. Which probably indicates to me that maybe at some point in time in this man's life, he had been able to see before. Otherwise, what would he even know what a tree is? This man had been able to see before, but 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 he had lost his way. He had, he had lost his sight. He had went blind. The, the touch of conversion. We see. We we well, listen. At the touch of conversion, we start seeing things differently. At the touch of conversion. We, we begin to look at things in a different perspective. Listen, I, I, I believe in, I, I'm not going to get into some theological study this morning or some type of theological presentation, but, but in, in the work of salvation, there's the action that is called regeneration. That means we're made new. That's what we refer to when we're saying, uh, like, uh, uh, you must be born again, uh, or I've been born again, and, and, and the Lord, the Lord was asked, well, how can I be born again? I can't enter again into my mom's womb, and, and we, we have to be born again of the water and the spirit. So the work of regeneration, the work of salvation happens instantly. You can't get saved any more than being saved. 
I want you to know that. If you're saved, you're saved. If you're not, you're not. You know, they used to, I remember, I remember back in, in the old days, as we'd call them, the old days they'd fit, they'd preach on people straddling the fence. There ain't no straddling the fence. Either you is or you ain't. You know, uh, uh, they, 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 there's not a case of, of being almost saved, or I think I'm, I'm getting close to being saved. No, we're, we're either saved or we're lost. It's black or white. You know, it, it, it's light and it's dark. Uh, the, the salvation is secure. Salvation is instant. Salvation occurs when we accept Jesus Christ through faith. You can't get any more saved than you are when you get saved. I want you to know that. But I also understand with me that when you get saved, I'm not giving you an excuse. I'm not offering you a scapegoat. But none of us were zapped into perfection at the moment that we got saved. Not a single one of us. In fact, you, you may be like me. I, I received the Lord in 1979. My wife is is a little bit younger than me. But she got saved, I think, when she was 11 years old. So she's been saved a whole lot longer than I have. But she... she but she is 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 still just as saved as she was in the beginning. I'm still just as saved as I was in the beginning. But here's what happens. The process of growth occurs in our spiritual life. You see, in, in John chapter 2, uh, the Lord speaks of these little ones. And as He speaks of these little ones, He says these little ones are unskilled. He said these little ones are unskilled. He says, he, he goes, he paints the picture that the little ones are the younger ones. Children are impressionable. Did you know that? Children are impressionable. Children get, you, you can do things to, to impress children. It, 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 listen, if you're, if you're having some ego problems and you, you're having problems impressing some of your peers, listen, listen go find you some kids and do something in front of kids, and then it will impress them. Okay? And so you will have you an impressed audience. Listen, when when Jesus wrote this word, these words in John chapter 2, He says, these little ones, they are unskilled. He, he's painting the picture or the portrait that these little ones or these younger ones are impressionable. And He goes on to say, they survive off of milk. That means they can't handle the prime rib yet. Okay? They're on the milk. Listen, I'm a firm believer. The Bible tells us, and I might say this again before I get done this morning, the Bible doesn't tell us anywhere to go out and make Christians, but it does tell us to go out and make disciples. I can't save anybody, never have saved anybody. I don't want to save anybody, but I want to point you to the person that can save you. And his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he can save you. He will redeem you. And he will regenerate you. And he will justify you. But then he wants to grow you. This man was touched. This man, he, he, the Lord had walked him out of the city. Conviction was there. Something was about to happen. He touched the man's eyes and spit on him. And then he asked the man, can you see? He said, no, sir. He, we, well, he didn't say no, sir. He said, well, sir, I see men walking around and it looks like trees. And sometimes that's where we find ourselves. You see, Paul 
Paul teaches the pursuit of spiritual maturity. Because when we, when we begin to look in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says that we are to grow up in every way unto Him, Him being Christ. So, so if we're saved, if we're saved but we're not growing any more mature than we were when we, we got saved, there's something wrong. From time to time and, uh, uh, I, I, you know, I just, I have a deep admiration for families that, that raise children that are handicapped. I have, I have a deep admiration for them. It has to be a chore. It has to be a challenge. And I know they do it out of love. And, and, and not long ago, I was, uh, I, I had somebody who was telling me about that, uh, they, they, they had some friends that their child was born with some physical disabilities. They were, they were born challenged physically and how that, that they, they wanted to console their friends and, and tell their friends how sorry they were that their, their child was born with disabilities. And, and they said, uh, years later that, that their friends said to them, you know what? You didn't owe me an apology because raising this child that, that's now up to like 10 or 12 years old, it's been one of the greatest blessings in my life that I could take this child that has, according to the world, according to physical and, and uh, you know, doctors, that, that he has handicaps, but I've got to bless his life. I've got to take care of him. Listen, understand with me, we expect and we anticipate in our natural life that a child is not going to stay a child forever. If you have a child that stays a child forever, there is some deficiency. There is some kind of handicap. You may still love them. You may still care for them. I'm sure you do, in fact. I admire people that do so. But here's my thing about it. The Lord didn't save us for us to remain babies forever. He didn't save us to remain toddlers forever. He didn't save us that when we're... Now, listen, and I, I understand me. I know that old saying that once, you know, once an adult, twice a child or something like that. And, 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 and I, I heard somebody say one time that the only difference between a baby and old age is the size of the diaper. But understand with me, God intends us to grow up. He intends us for us to mature. Now, in that, we know that all children don't grow the same, and we know that we're not going to grow the same, and we can't judge one another in that growth. But if we remain on milk, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and then the Hebrew writer alluded to it as well in Hebrews chapter 5, that if we remain on the milk, there is a problem. We don't be anemic for one thing, spiritually anemic. God's calling us to grow in to spiritual maturity. But having a spiritual viewpoint, Paul says in Philippians 3 and 15, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things and if on some point you think differently that God, that to God will make clear to you. Listen, maturity causes us to see things differently. As we grow spiritually mature, we will see things in a different light than we see them now. If you still see things the same way you did when you first got saved, there's a good sign that you've been drinking too much milk. But God is calling us to spiritual maturity. If you're still as sensitive as you were when you first got saved, 
If you're still, you know, you know I, I could go on and on and on, but God is called. But what happens is, and I, I'll get back to it, is we find ourselves living among the trees. Thirdly, what occurred in this situation was the touch of correction. The touch of correction. Jesus didn't say, oh, hey buddy, I did my part. I'm sorry that all these people look like trees walking around, but you go get you some glasses, do whatever you need to do. Now, Jesus didn't do that. Jesus wasn't happy with this man living among the trees. He wasn't happy with him seeing people as trees. Jesus wanted more in that man's life for that man than to have him not totally blind anymore, but with distorted vision. So Jesus puts his hands on the man's eyes one more time. The eyes are open, his sight is restored, and the scripture says he sees everything clearly. And I've already touched on this, but I want to reiterate. There is so much more to the Christian life than the moment of conversion. The moment of conversion is when you get saved. You can't get any more saved than you are when you get saved. You you can't you you're, you're, you you know you're, you just can't you just can't improve on the salvation plan of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Jesus calls us to make disciples. When we look at the scripture, I find in the scripture that references that that we are clay on the potter's wheel. And you'll remember a few weeks ago I preached about that that we're just the dirt and He's the water because until. Clay is made wet, it's just dirt. But when it's made wet with the water of the Spirit, then it becomes clay and it begins to fashion and it begins to shape. Jeremiah compares us, you and I, to that. Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 18, he says that God is the potter and we are the clay. His desire is to shape us and mold us. Now, does that mean that God's not satisfied with who you are? No, not necessarily, not in that sense. But what, what, what does matter, what is important is you don't get to be what you want to be, but you, you and I should have a desire that I want to be what God wants me to be. Because in my plan, in my plan of life, I'm going to tell you what, I never plan on being no preacher and I never plan on being no pastor. Okay? There was a lot of other things that I could have done, would have done. But that wasn't my plan. But when, as I begin to submit my life to God, I find out that God has a plan for my life. And some of you in this room have submitted yourself to God and you're finding out God has a different plan for your life than what you thought your plan was. And, and some of you in this room haven't come to that place yet. But I assure you, God has a plan for your life. And in that plan, He wants to develop you and shape you into what He wants you to do. But here's the thing. Isaiah chapter 45 and 9, we find that the clay cannot tell the potter what to do. Hello? Hello? Lord, I'll preach, but I'm only going to preach on Saturday nights. Lord, I will sing, but I'm only going to sing... The songs that I want to sing. Lord, I will teach, but I'm only going to teach certain, certain, certain. 
You know, and we could go on and we could go on. Lord, I will do this and I will do that. Yes, we find in Isaiah again, 45 and 9, you find there that the clay really has no right to say, the clay really doesn't have the ability to say to the potter that no, I'm on your will. I, you're not going to make me into a vase, a vase today. I want to be a teapot. The, the clay has no right to speak to the potter. But we sometimes, we tend to tell God what we want Him to do with us. Hello? We tend to say, ah, Lord, okay, I'm willing to, yes, Lord, I'm willing to follow you, but here's what I'm going to be available for. You see, when, when, when we set, when we set the boundaries of what we're going to be available for, Lord, I'm going to serve you, but I'm going to only be available for an hour, hour and a half on Sunday morning, and after that, it's off limits. When we say, Lord, I want to be available for whatever you've called me to do, and I, I'm sorry, it's just a good opportunity to preach on money right now. Lord, I want to be available for whatever you want me to do, but I, I'm not, I'm not giving anything beyond my tithe, that 10%. Lord, I'm available for whatever you want me to do, as long as it's not on Monday nights when NCIS is on, even if it's reruns. Yeah. We, we can go on and on and on and, and, and begin to tell God our boundaries. But with God, with God, He establishes the boundaries. This man permitted Jesus to touch him and to correct his faulty sight. My question is, are we willing to do that? Are we willing for Jesus to touch our life? Some of us, listen, some of us, probably all of us to a degree of speaking, are still in the middle of the trees. Uh, we, we are still seeing men as trees. Yes, we've been saved. Yes, God has touched us. But yet, but yet, we're looking around and we see men of trees. I don't want you to raise your hands, but how many of you in this room, if, if you were, you know, just think about what your response would be. Honestly, if you were answering this with all honesty and all integrity, how many of us in this room are, would be comfortable saying, I know I'm doing exactly what God Wants me to do. I'm being exactly who God, got, who God wants me to be. I'm accomplishing God's perfect will. I couldn't raise my hand. You might, but I can't. Because I'm on a journey. And as I'm on this journey, I've not reached my destination. I, 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 as I've gotten older, I little understand a little bit more. I think I do anyway. Apostle, what the Apostle Paul was talking about. When he said, I'm pressed towards the mark of the high calling of God. Paul, the greatest preacher of all time. Somebody says Billy Graham's the second one. I don't know. But Paul, the greatest preacher of all time. The, perhaps the, the great lead, greatest leader outside of Jesus himself in the church. Paul said, Paul said, I'm pressing on towards the mark. It means he hasn't made it yet. Let me tell you something else. And what, what pressing says, when Paul says I'm pressing towards the mark of the high calling, what that means is this, I'm, I'm having to pull, I'm having to tug, I'm, I'm having to, I'm having to crawl. I'm having to do whatever I have to do. I'm having to wade through mud. I'm having to fight off, fight off 
assaults of the enemy. I have to hit the enemy and I have to knock the enemy out. I have to do it. Paul is saying, listen, pressing means it's it's not necessarily easy. It's not just becoming natural to me. But Paul says, I'm pushing on with all of my effort and I'm pushing on with all of my might towards the high calling of God through Christ Jesus. And Paul says, I'm going to have to do that until the day comes. And he didn't know how close it was until he would leave this world. And he would leave this world and enter into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I can't get stuck in the middle of the trees. We can't remain there. We have to say, God, I need your second touch. I need a third touch. I need a fourth touch. I need you to open my eyes. And I need you, Lord. To develop my life. You see, Jesus is all about just that. Madison. I want you to know this. Jesus is in your corner. Sarah and I watch me TV a lot. We watch old shows. We we watch Hogan's Hero. We watch Andy Griffith. I mean, I love it. Who knows how many times I've seen every episode of Andy Griffith. And you younger people, if you never watch Andy Griffith, you need to start. You don't know what you're missing. And I don't care how many times, I don't care how many times that, you know, you watch it and it's still funny. Okay? We watched, the other night we was watching MASH. 4077. The early episodes of MASH. And as we were watching, as we were watching those early episodes of MASH, they had a, uh, they had a boxer coming to the to the camp, and they had uh, they had Trapper was going to fight this big army boxer from another platoon or something, and he was big, great old big young guy. But they come up they come up with a a, a way to cheat actually. And they were, they were going to try to fix the fight and make sure Trapper would win. Trapper's a little skinny guy for those of you who never saw it. But as I watched that fight, that boxing ring, over in the corner, both boxers had a coach, a trainer if you would. The boxers were getting out there to box. But the trainers were calling the shots. I want you to know this. There's somebody in your corner that is willing to call the shots. But you have to be willing to walk to the center of the ring. And if you'll let them... If you'll let him do the calling, he's always in your corner. It's nothing new because God had plans for, has always had plans for us to succeed. In Jeremiah's plans, in Jeremiah 29 and 11, one of my favorite portions of Scripture, we find that the Lord told Jeremiah, He said, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. He said, Paul wrote in Philippians 1. He said, 
He who began a good work in you will carry it on to the on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And then I read John the Beloved in Third John chapter two, and John John wrote, "Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health." Just as your soul prospers. So no matter where you are at in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to know. His intent for you is the same. No matter if you're just starting out. If you've been caught up in the woods way too long. Or maybe you've, maybe you've, you've, you've you now are seeing clearly. I love that old rock song. I can see clearly now the rain has gone. Now you see clearly. But here's the fact of the matter. God still has the best of intentions for your life. What He wants to do is take you and I to the next level. Now, if you've made it to the point where there is no next level, let me tell you something. You've exceeded the life of Paul. Because Paul says, I press toward the mark of the high calling of God. I've not arrived yet. My personal philosophy or my theology is, if you would, that when I arrive, there's two things either have happened. When I arrive, Either the trumpet of the Lord is sounded and time will be no more. Or either somebody is called the funeral home to come pick up this old body. Because my, my prize, my goal has not been met until I stand before my Lord and my Savior face to face. And in the meantime, I'm just on a journey. I'm on a journey and I've got the greatest coach, the greatest trainer, the greatest advisor in my corner. I'm on a journey and I have a dad. I have a father, a heavenly father that has nothing more in mind than for me to succeed. So if you're in the middle of the trees and you can't quite see clearly now. Keep trusting Jesus. Keep trusting Him. Keep submitting yourself to Him. Because I can promise you, your next touch is on the way. You bow your heads with me. With heads bowed and eyes closed in this room, some may be watching. But the Lord is speaking to your heart this morning. He's not condemning you, but He is convicting you. When He convicts you, He is drawing you close to Him. But if you're in this room and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, you've never given your heart and life over to Him, or, or maybe, maybe that you've let blindness overwhelm you. Maybe you've drifted far away and just need to get back home. You've gone prodigal, but you know that your dad is waiting at home for you. Your spiritual dad. Jesus. Then I want to ask you a question this morning. With heads bowed and eyes closed in this room. Is there one person in this room that would say. With, and I won't embarrass you. I absolutely promise you I will not embarrass you. 
Is there one person in this room that says, Pastor?